Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning and welcome to today's program. The S&P 500 is up a little over 16% year to date as of close last Friday. That's June the 14th. And that is the completion of 24 trading weeks for the year. The index has set four record closes this year. The 114 days trading days that's completed in 2019 are split between 59 up days and 41 down days. Now, we talk about volatility a lot. That's a good example of volatility. The worst performing stock in the S&P 500 during calendar year 2018 lost 67%, a little over 67%. The same stock... The same stock is up 107% year-to-date as of the close of last Friday. That stock, the one I just mentioned, is the best-performing stock within the index through the 24 trading weeks. Now, remember, past performance is not an indication of future performance. We talk about that all the time, but that is volatility. So... With that type of information, volatility, and understanding how to manage our investments and eliminating this emotional battle we have with fear and greed are important to a person's overall financial future. Knowing how to construct a portfolio is essential for accomplishing your financial dreams and goals, and that's our topic today. Whether you're building a college education fund or you're for your children or you're working on your 401k at work, knowing what to do is important. My guests today, Rusty Leonard and Scott Jordan, knowing the role of an investment manager, what he's supposed to be doing, and then knowing how to develop an investment strategy. As I said, that's the topics. With the second half of the year just about to begin, you do not want to miss today's discussion. Stay with us. From our Did You Know files, here's something interesting. The Department of Labor reported recently that U.S. manufacturers employed 12.8 million, million, excuse me, million workers as of the end of last year. That's almost identical to the 12.9 million manufacturing jobs in this country as of December the 31st, 1941. However, with that in mind, 264,000 new manufacturing jobs were added during calendar year 2018, and that's the greatest annual increase since 1997. Here's some important news. The CMA group, CME group reports that the probability of a Fed rate cut, now that's everybody's thinking about that, at the meeting today is about 23%. But the probability of a Fed rate cut at their 731 meeting, that's September the 31st, meeting is 87%, and it increases to 97% by the time they get to the September meeting. That's the, you know, looks like we're going to see uh, some type of a lowering of interest rates, and that's good for the economy, good for the market. You wonder if oil prices might go down at the gas tank? Well, guess what? The Department of Energy reported that U.S. field production of crude oil reached 12.4 million barrels in a day for the week ending May the 31st of this year. That is the largest weekly production total reported in the 99 years that we've been keeping that particular statistic. Finally, 
By the year 2035, the Census Bureau says the number of Americans at least age 65, projected to be 78 million, will exceed the number of Americans under the age of 18, projected to be about 70, a little over 76 million. That's the first time in our nation's history that that's ever occurred. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. And be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, understanding the role of an investment manager and how do you construct a portfolio in today's environment. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcast of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Securing Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securing Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as I was talking about the reality of volatility, I talked about the worst performing stock through 2018, down 67%. Well, it's the best performing stock so far through last Friday. It's 170% up. So volatility, we talked about 59 up days so far this year, 41 down days. All that confusion, all that volatility, all that emotion that gets we get caught up in, I thought it would be kind of important today to step back and just have someone that we've had as a guest multiple times. You like him. He does a great job explaining to us what's going on in the market. But I thought it would be kind of interesting today because you've asked this question, what is the role of an investment manager? What do they do? Well, our guest today is Rusty Leonard. Certified financial analyst, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, longtime friend. And Rusty, I got to ask you this question. First of all, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Well, let me, I wanted to ask right off the top, because you have a long history. This You didn't just start this a couple of weeks ago. You've been in the investment business for a long time. Can you give us a little bit of your history so that everybody kind of gets established? I mean, I talk a little bit about it when we have you on regularly, but we really can't say that we've ever covered really how long have you been doing this and where did you get started? Are you saying I'm old? No. <laughs> I'll try to refrain from that, but you've been doing this a long time. <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> really long time. I, I bought my first stock when I was 16 years old. Uh, I overheard some kids talking about the stock market in high school in a study hall and thought it was intriguing and had been saving my money for college and uh, got into it and bought uh, 50 shares of mobile and 10 shares of a company called Teleprompter. <laughs> I, was, I was at it from the time I was 16. And, you know, my, my family background is very middle class. The parents really didn't know too much about stocks or bonds or anything. So it was quite out of the ordinary. And uh, I'm always grateful that I overheard that conversation of some other kids talking about the stock market in the study hall because it uh, has been a great and fun life uh, for me ever since. I went on to get my broker's license, my stockbroker's license, when I was 19 years old, which is also kind of crazy because a 19-year-old stockbroker can't sell anything to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody was uh, willing to sponsor me to take the test, and I, sure enough, I passed it. So there you were. You had a 19-year-old stocker. But that helped me get, get a job at a uh, bank in uh, the Philadelphia area where I lived, and uh, that propelled me. I did well in that job, and that uh, gave me an opportunity to um, 
and I wish I could tell you the full story because it's really fascinating from a Christian perspective. But anyway, you know, that propelled me uh, to a position working with one of the finest and most noteworthy investors of all time, successful investors of all time, John Templeton, who had been my hero anyway. So I got to go work for my hero and spend over a decade working at Templeton, uh, rose through the ranks there to become one of the top guys, uh, then realized, hey, you know, I'm in a pretty sweet spot here, and it's all the Lord's doing. It's not me. What can I be doing here to you know, give give back. And so I, I left Templeton, uh, you know, about as fantastic of a job as you get. It was, uh, we were the top dog really in the international investing space. And I was one of the top dogs on that team and said, let me start something where Christians can invest uh, in, in a way that, you know, they can feel good about what they're doing and feel like they're honoring the Lord with their investments. And so we started Stewardship Partners and have been doing that for the last oh, nearly 20 years now. Yeah. So, and- that's uh, that's a quick rundown on my uh, my background. Yeah, that's uh... I got my CFA. I got my CFA. That's the Chartered Financial Analyst that you mentioned earlier. Uh, as early as you could get it, basically as well. So I was like twenty three or four or something when I got that. Yeah, you had to pass three years of testing. I got through the three years in three years. So um, and you had to be a college graduate. So I think I think I was twenty four when I got my CFA. So long time, and the reality is uh, you're good at it, and you you've done a great job in developing, you know, kind of that. Uh, I, I know you came from Templeton, but what you've done is you've taken what God's given you, your talent, your gift, and uh, you've ministered. And actually, Stewardship Partners—that's a great name. How did you how did you come about to be Stewardship Partners? What was the thought process there? Well, you know, you look at Scripture, and uh, we're called to be good stewards, and uh, so we want to. Uh, have that in our name. Uh, we, want, we want to reflect what Scripture was telling us. If you have wealth, if you are in a position where God has blessed you with it, you want to do a good job. You want to uh, honor the Lord with that. So that's all part of being a good steward. You want to you want to make the most of it, as in the parable of the, of the good stewards. And uh, you know you want to be able to go and hear those words from the Lord: "Well done, good and faithful servant." So uh, the stewardship part of it was all just focusing on the idea that this wasn't really your money. You were you're the steward of it. It's the Lord's money, and you just want to do the best for for the owner of that money, and you know do a good job as the manager of that money. So each of us really are stewards of whatever we got, whether it's our money, our talents, our time. Uh, we all need to be good stewards of that, and uh, and so that was the, the stewardship partner. The partner part of it was, hey, we're not not only just partners of the people who are part of the firm, who are own controlling interest in the firm. We're all partners, but. It's also partnering with our clients as well to, you know, basically honor the Lord and all this. So that's where Stewardship Partners came from. Well, I appreciate- and of course, people, 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 people told me at the beginning, Jim, uh, what a dumb name, because everybody associates stewardship with that stewardship Sunday where the pastor beats over them <laughs> to make their pledges for the year. Yeah. So that really, you know, people will give me some feedback. That's not a good name. You should pick a different name. But we kind of liked it, so we stuck with it. Well, I, you know, that's I like what you're saying. I like that. Of course, I've known that, and I appreciate how you share that with people. And it is such a great testimony. Let me ask you this. What's a typical day look like for Rusty Leonard in your role as an investment manager and someone, as you say, as a steward, managing other people's money? What's a typical day look like for you? Well, of course, typical days are, are hard to come by in the markets, which are so free-flowing and all over the place, right? But um but normally, you know, I roll. I don't even roll out of bed. I reach over and grab that cell phone, and, and I check the markets right away. Right away. Right. Yeah. So now, in the, in the in this day and age, you have the ability to. You know, we didn't have cell phones. You know, when I first started in this business, and so you actually had to get out of bed and get down to your uh, get down to your office 
you know, get dressed, get get to the office because you didn't have any access to anything. There was no CNBC. There was no anything. So you had to, you know, get to your office and get to what was known as a Quotron machine. And you could find out what the news of the day was, or you could pick up the Wall Street Journal and try to read that. But everything obviously moved a lot slower. Now it's very, very fast. And you can, you know, before you even get out of bed, you can know what, what's going on in the market. So literally that's what happens, right? I grab the phone and I check the various websites that I, uh, I'm interested in uh, that keep me up to date on the latest breaking news on what's going on in the markets. And then, of course, you get up and you get dressed and you get down and you, and you sit in front of your uh, computer. And that computer has access to so much information. It's unbelievable, right? So the biggest problem that any investment manager faces is filtering through to find the best and most relevant information to you know their clients at that, at that given point in the day. So that's a, a lot of what's going on there. We have access to just unending information, much of it bad. You know, uh, I'm sure many of the people listening today who maybe are investors themselves, uh, they get all kinds of uh, News updates today, it's being done by robots that are just spitting out you know, news stories, not even humans, and they really screw things up. And they, they, uh, it's misinformation. It's fake news. You know, the president has talked about fake news. There's tons of fake news out there in the investment world as well. And uh, it does, you know, people utilize that fake news, plant that fake news uh, in order to try to influence stock prices. So it's an interesting time we live in. So when you talk about, I mean, fake news, this, it, uh absurd amount of information, this enormous amount of information. Let me ask you this, then. What do you look at? What do you keep up? What do you think is important? I mean, is it information and data on the economy, or do you spend more time on the individual stocks and bonds? I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, it is a lit, just enormous amounts of, of information coming at us. It's almost like you're trying to drink from a fire hydrant, but somebody has to weed yeah. into that and say, that's fake, that's not good, that's not good. What do you take the time to look at? Is it more economy-driven, or is it individual stocks-driven? It's both. Uh, so today is a day when the Fed is going to speak, right? So the Fed, that's that's going to dominate today's trade. Now, we're long-term uh, investors at our shop, but there are a lot of uh, shops that are very short-term in their orientation. They trade every day, and they've, they're looking for an edge. You know, they want to win every single day and make trades every single day. And so those folks, they really have to focus on what the what the Fed's, you know, the, what they think the Fed's going to say, or what the market thinks the Fed's going to say. Is the is the market positioning itself uh, too far to one extreme, so that if the Fed says something different, there's going to be a big reaction. You know, that, that, you got to work out all these details. It's called the expectations game. You got to play the expectations game. What is the market expecting, and what do you think the reality is going to be? And can you you trade off of that? Now we're longer term investors, so we're observing that, but we're not as hyper focused on it. We know, we're certainly keeping tabs on what the Fed's doing. We know that that's going to influence share prices in the you know intermediate term as well as in the you know the day. But um, so we're paying attention on a day like today to what the market's thinking about what the Fed's going to say and how the market's going to react. And at two o'clock, I'll be paying real close attention when the Fed comes out with their announcement. And I want to see what they say, because if they throw a surprise in there one way or the other, it's going to influence share prices for quite some period of time. We saw that back in uh, the end of, at the end of the year when the Fed was raising rates and the market thought it had lost its mind. And the market freaked out, thinking the Fed had, had gone out of control and we almost had a bear. Well, we did have a bear market and everything, but the S&P 500 uh, as a result of nothing that really actually <laughs> happened in the end. And, of course, the market recovered from that very quickly. Uh, so, you know. 
for shorter-term oriented investors, they really do need to be focused on these macro events. I tend to be more of a bottoms-up investor. That's the Templeton background in me, where we say, okay, we keep an eye on what's going on economically. But if you're a long-term investor, you know that in the long run, the economy is going to continue to improve. You'll have your dips that you'll have to ride out. But basically, if you have a five-year perspective, there aren't too many five-year periods of time when the economy didn't improve. So the focus is really trying to identify those companies that are selling at a discount to what they're really worth. And at a big discount to what they're really worth, so that you can really you know make some money for your uh, your clients and position them in those particular stocks. You know, Rusty, one of the things uh, I want everybody to understand: if you just tuned in, we're talking with Rusty Leonard, a frequent guest of ours today. But the subject today, because of all the volatility that we, we've had, fifty-one up days or fifty-nine up days, forty-one down days. The worst performing stock last year is the best performing stock so far this year. So volatility is real in the market. It is part of the market. So we get our emotions, whether it's fear or greed, all that gets in there. So I thought you've asked a lot of questions. What does the investment manager do. So our guest today is Rusty Leonard. He is going through the process of helping us understand what all he does. And Rusty, I so much appreciate that. Uh, by the way, just joining us right now is Scott Jordan. Jo- Scott, welcome to the program. Frequent guest. Scott, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Jim. You know, let me let me say this. Uh, Scott, have you got a question for Rusty that you would like to ask him before I, I ask you my question? I, I did have a question. Rusty, Rusty, good morning. I'm, I'm glad to be here speaking good with morning, you. I always, always enjoy when you're on the show. Um, you know, I, I know you've been doing this a long time, and markets have changed significantly since you got in the business. How has that impacted how you do your job? Wow. It's, uh, you know, there's so many facets to that. Uh, obviously, I mentioned already the technology, right? So there's a tremendous increase in technology. So there's a, we, even before we had the technology, we had an overflow of uh, information. We had research com- reports coming in the mail. Uh, that was the first thing. And so you would have piles and piles of mail to open up and research reports to read every single day coming from various brokerages firms really all around the world when I was working for Templeton. So it was quite a, you know, and that was that was the early days in the early uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then the fax machine kicked in and we started getting all this stuff faster by fax. You know, so there'd be shorter reports because you didn't want to fax long reports. But uh, you would get tons and tons of information on the fax machine. You had to sort through every morning you come in and sort through all the faxes you got. And, uh, and then, of course, the Internet came and then email and that dominated. And then Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, invented his little device. Uh, and that has uh, he's a politician now. But uh, Bloomberg invented the Bloomberg Terminal, and it's basically a personalized Internet of information that goes on forever. (laughs) You can never find the end of Bloomberg, just like you can never find the end of the Internet. And it's just chock full of stuff that people, numbers crazy people like me like to look at. And so it's unbelievable how well organized it is and how quickly you can access information that years ago would have taken uh, days to get. And uh, now I can have it in an instant. You know, when you, it's just remarkable. When you talk about that, you know, I get this feeling that sometimes, I mean, we're seeing a movement to a what's called basically a passive, a passive investment strategy versus an active manager. Now, you're an active manager. You're paying attention to what's going on. You're thinking out your long term. You talked about being bottom up, and I think I want people to hear what that bottom up means. But is there a okay, trend try, yeah. trend to passive investing? Do you see that? Is is that something? And to me, I think that's going to be a creative market for that active manager. But give me your thoughts on that. The difference. Why don't you describe the difference between a passive investment manager or investment strategy and an active management? And that's one of the huge themes that has impacted investing over the last little while. Uh, each 
each decade basically has a different theme in terms of who the dominant investor is. And in the most recent decade, maybe even a little more than a decade, has been the move towards passive investing, where people just buy an index fund. They don't try to pick individual stocks like I do as a bottoms-up manager. So uh, you ask for a definition of bottoms-up. Bottoms-up means I'm not as concerned about the economy, the top-down look on the economy and making my investment decisions on that basis. I'm more focusing my attention on what from the bottom of the equation, looking up, so looking at individual companies, how they're positioned, what their prospects are, and looking up versus looking at the economy and seeing what the prospects are for certain countries or certain uh, sectors or industries. So we focus on more on individual companies, try to understand those companies inside out, gain an edge over the market, and win for our clients on that basis. So that's what it is. But the trend towards passive investing has, um, has initially, I think in the end, you're going to be right. In the end, it's going to be an advantage for uh, bottom-up investors like me because everybody else is cluelessly buying all stocks. That's basically what passive investing is. You don't think about it. You don't think about what the stocks, whether it's good or bad, you just buy them all. Because you, and the theory behind that is you know that on balance, on average, they're going to go up. And on balance, active managers, uh, the history shows, typically, most, on, during most periods of times, don't beat the passive fund. So you're better off just being in a passive fund. But as the passive funds come to dominate, the market gets dumber because it's just blindly buying. And so people who are actually paying attention will be able to add even more value because there'll be stupid buying or stupid selling that we can take advantage of and position our clients for better. But in the process of that passive wave building up, it's really kind of overwhelmed everything else in the, in the short run. It's made it very difficult for active managers. But there's going to be a, a point, and we're probably pretty close to that point, where we, we cross the line and all of a sudden the kind of clueless, mindless buying of the passive funds uh, has kind of levels off, and the, and the door will open for active managers like myself to really take advantage of those mindless, clueless buyers and sellers of stock. Well, that that's that's that makes a lot of sense. I think everybody has, listening has to understand there is that there is that trend, but that uh, trend doesn't seem to be where it's going to be in the future. Well, when we come back, Rusty's going to. I want to ask a question, Rusty. Do you see? I mean, there's this talk about the new economy. I've heard that people listen about that. It's different than it was 24 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever. The new economy. So I got to figure out that uh, you probably have you know have got a good answer for us. What is this new economy? Because you've been around a long time, and you know the difference between 20, 30, 40 years ago and today. So stay with us. If you just tuned in, it's Rusty Leonard. We're talking about the role of an investment manager, and we're finding out some very important things. Bottom up. You probably thought that was something else. Now we know what it is. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. While I'm talking with investment manager, the owner and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, and one of the owners of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, he is the founder of uh, that particular organization. He's been around a long time doing investment management. 
He is a chartered financial analyst um, and an experienced advisor. Uh, for, for As he said, back when he was 16, 17 years old, started early. Uh, he's bottoms up. We've learned that that means he spends time looking at what's going on in the stock market, I mean, in the in the individual stock, and not from top down looking at what happened in the news yesterday or this morning or whatever. Even though that's important, it's not that mentality, and I so much appreciate that from Rusty. But I asked before the break, we wanted to talk about this thought process called the new economy. So, Rusty, walk us through the thought process, because we hear it all the time. It's different today. We have a new economy. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, my first thought goes right back to uh, something Sir John Templeton, the, you know, the guy I uh, mentored under and was my kind of investment hero, uh, said uh, and often said, and I don't think he came up with it. I think he was just repeating what somebody else said, but the four most dangerous words in the English language are, it's different this time. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he, was referring, he was referring to the fact that at the top, when markets are just you know, going sky high and everybody's an investor and everything's wonderful, we're all making money, and, everybody, and people would point out, you know, logical people would say, you know, it's looking kind of – risky here, uh, then uh, they would say, no, it's different this time. And that's why he said it's the most dangerous, uh, four most dangerous words in the English language, yep. because it, it almost never is different. But it, it takes, certainly, the, it, there are differences. It's just that the same uh, investor attitudes play out almost every cycle. Uh, so even though the economy is new and different and changes all the time, uh, you know, you have to, uh, the same attitudes of greed and fear are always there. So, so that's the the message of that. But in terms of the new this new economy, well, there's I mean the economy is always changing and new. There's always progress being made, and uh, and different elements are affecting it. So clearly, one of the things that have affected the economy this time around is the move towards uh, social media and uh, these industries that are very you know they're they're just house and buildings and you know farms of computers someplace, and they've come to dominate the stock market and the economy in many many ways and just people's attitudes in many ways. So that's one huge change. It used to be when I started in the business, you know, you were looking at oil companies that had oil in the ground or mines that had gold in the ground or something, and you could, you know, they were fungible things. You had companies that made cars or made some kind of uh, technology product. But now, now we have these soft companies that uh, create ideas more than they create actual products, and uh, and they are dominating the space. Uh, but there's still plenty of companies that make actual things. I'll Apple computers that makes the phones that you need to access Facebook and Twitter and all these other social media uh, programs. Uh, the other major change in the economy is the Fed. Uh, the Fed has uh, not just the, the U.S. Fed, but all the central banks around the world and the other central banks more so than the Fed have gotten involved in the financial markets in a direct manner by buying either bonds or mutual funds in the case of Japan, where um, they they own more than half. The central bank essentially owns half of the uh, ETFs that, that are out there. Uh, it's just uh, a mind-numbing change uh, in how the markets operate with the influence of this monstrous government entity that has that has the ability to set interest rates. And uh, so that's a huge uh, new element for the economy, and that's why there's so much attention paid to what the Fed says and does and what all the central banks say and do. And I don't know if that's a, you know, again, I'm not sure that's a positive. I think it's a positive for the central banks to be involved at extreme situations where the markets break down and they can help fix them and get them back to thinking normally. But it, they should really back out, um, you know, during more normal times. But that's just my opinion. 
Well, you know, what you do is you talk about that. So with that mindset, with the central bank meeting, I mean, the Fed meeting today, um, and most people say if probably the expectations are we're not going to see a change, Fed rate change today. But by the time we get to September, uh, pretty good, pretty good opportunity for them to change rates, lowering change rates. So your thoughts, I mean, in a few minutes that we got left in the day for, the, for our segment at this point, what do you see for the next, uh, the second half of the year? Uh, obviously, the the bias at the moment has turned negative. That's partly because of the trade war, which has affected uh, overseas economies more so than it has affected ours. And the Fed recently uh, normally says they focus only on the U.S., but they, they really have a global impact, and they're starting to uh, take into account the fact that economies overseas are being impacted by this trade war. So I think a lot of it has to do with um, whether or not you know, we're going to have a meeting between uh, Trump and the president of China here very shortly, Z. And, um, you know, if they're able to come out of that with a positive uh, feeling, uh, that may change what the Fed's thinking about, about things and certainly what the financial markets are, are thinking as well. So, uh, you know, it's not clear. We These are big issues and uh, we need to see what the outcome is. But I have a feeling that the political pressures on both sides of the uh, Pacific Ocean on this are gr- growing enough that, the, that we'll find a solution relatively quickly. Well, we're going to be talking with you in a couple of weeks anyway. We'll get this first half overlooked, and you let us kind of tell us what you thought, you know, from the first half, what's going on with the economy in the second half. That's coming up with you, I think, in a couple of weeks, I hope. And I'm looking forward to that, sir. Well, have a great day. Again, thank you so much for just helping us understand the role of an investment manager. I like it bottoms up. Uh, like everybody, going, I wonder what that meant. <laughs> Thank no, you, Rusty. We're not at the bar. We're not at the bar. Okay? That's so right. There you fun. go. Have a great day, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. If you just tuned in, we've been talking, of course, with Rusty Leonard. Now, Scott Jordan is here. We're going to have to take a break in just a second. But when we come back, if we talk about all this volatility and the reality that, you know, emotions and greed and all that falls into it, it's kind of tough on our financial future, how we look at it, how the the whole idea of accomplishing our dreams and goals. So you got to construct a portfolio that you're comfortable with, whether it's risk that you need to be thinking a whole lot about, or is it inflation that you're concerned about? Or are you just shocked that you just can't make a decision? You got to know what to do. Stay with us when we come back. I have a guy here that's going to help us construct a portfolio and know how the investment strategy works. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Despite its uniqueness, Memphis shares a great deal in common with its southern neighbor, Jackson, Mississippi. Founded within two years of each other, both cities were inseparable from the legacy of Andrew Jackson, who co-founded Memphis and in whose honor the new capital of Mississippi was named. Although, like Memphis, Jackson was founded on a river bluff, it is the only state capital to be built over an extinct volcano. Both cities were captured by Union forces in the early days of the Civil War, but Jackson bore the brunt of the fighting and was burned to the ground three times. The very few buildings that were left standing in the aftermath were for the most part either Union Army positions, including the Governor's Mansion, or structures used as civilian hospitals, such as Jackson City Hall. Today, Jackson is a regional medical hub known for many medical innovations, including the first successful lung transplant. This has been another Mid-South History Moment. 
Brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, I've been talking with, uh, you know, you heard it all through the process of talking with Rusty Leonard about what the role of an investment manager. Well, I've asked Scott to join us, and he's going to talk about the idea behind investment strategy, developing an investment strategy, and how do you go about designing a portfolio? Investments and portfolio constructions are an important part of anybody's overall financial picture. And it, it does bring a peace of mind if you feel that you've got it right. And before, though, Scott, that we get into that, before you start talking about how to develop a strategy and choosing a portfolio, what do what do you do when you first start talking with a client? I mean, is this, I understand there's so many moving parts, but just take us through quickly that role that you see as the investment advisor of helping someone understand what it means to construct a portfolio. Yeah, I think, you know, we always start, Jim, by backing up and looking at the why, right? Investments are a tool. They're not an end into themselves. We're trying to accomplish something with those. So what we do is we sit down with our clients. We're going to have a deep conversation about what's important to them. You know, what are their deeply held values? Then we help them clearly define their goals, objectives, what are their dreams, what are their aspirations? What are they trying to accomplish with these investments? And then we work on getting them organized and we examine their current situation and start to look at, hey, you know, where are you right now? What's your financial reality now compared to where you want to be? And then we can start to create an investment strategy as part of that overall plan, you know, looking at mitigating risk, uh, what's going to achieve their goals. And then we help them implement that strategy. So I think that why is critical when you're looking at the investments. I really do appreciate you saying that. I guess I I guess so many people think that you just immediately jump into the, you know, everybody's portfolio is cookie cutter. Just here it is. This is another one. It just kind of a big, big, huge machine running them out one after another. But you really don't. You really back up. And stop and say, let's talk, let's figure out, what about risk tolerance? I mean, is that the big kind of elephant in the room mentality? Is it, you know, you got to go for college education for your children. Maybe you got to go with your 401k, your retirement plan. But is risk, you know, the whole idea, the the willingness to take risk, is, is that a part of the issue that you just have to deal with? I think so. You know, we live in an inflationary economy. So whatever you're trying to accomplish in the future, you have to factor in that that's going to cost more in the future. And for most people, they're going to need access to some sort of risk asset in order to grow their accumulated wealth to order to meet those goals. So I think participating in a market that is going to have some sort of risk involved is going to be something that most people have to deal with. So we look a lot at risk tolerance because, you know, we want to sit down and say, okay, what what is your tolerance for risk? What can you tolerate? Because the worst thing we can do is put somebody into something that's too risky and they can't keep that long-term perspective and stay focused on the long-term strategy. So is that the emotional side? If you don't if you don't manage that risk, it creates the emotional or the greed or all those things that fall into Absolutely. that. And it causes a problem. I mean, it Well, does. you've heard me say it over and over again. Emotions are the enemy of any good investment That's strategy. Great point. What type of risk are we talking about? I mean, risk is a big word. That's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of different risk when you're looking at uh, creating an overall financial strategy. Market risk is one of them. There's going to be volatility in the market. Then you have to look at things like interest rate risk. What about inflation? We mentioned that. What about inflation risk? Is there credit risk on the bond side? Uh, what about liquidity? I need access to my funds. Can I turn them into cash quickly without losing a lot of value. Uh, 
How about political risk? How about that one? We that's that's kind of come to the forefront right lately. We've seen that. Uh, we, can we, we maybe make it the tweeter risk? The tweeter. I mean, we, you and I have talked about this a lot, I, and and you've been in doing this a little longer than I have, but I've never seen one person be able to influence the market so much. Maybe Greenspan to a certain degree with some of his speak, but. He didn't have Twitter. He to didn't do use it, Twitter. Do it on a daily boy, basis, you know so. what? If we had Greenspan now and he used the Twitter account that we see it, with the president, I'm not sure the market could get up every I, morning and do you, anything. I'm telling you, that would be different. But there's a lot of type of risk. But there's also, Jim, the risk of not achieving your goals. And that's a big one. So, you know, going back to what we were just talking about earlier of needing to participate in the market, some people get fearful of risk and they just want to bury their money in the ground and and you know with inflation and all that we know that that's not usually a good idea and and you may not be able to achieve your goals if you don't achieve the proper growth that you need in order to do that you know so. this big you just hit on a topic this big animal that sometimes is right staring you right in the face and you know, we have this fear and so we we're frozen and frozen. we we you know there, there's this natural emotion of you know, flight or fight, and and, mm-hmm. it's, and so when you're frozen like that, you don't able to do anything. And so when we talk about helping a person develop a portfolio, defining their dream, their goal, to achieve that dream and goal, if there's a fear of not being able to do that, that freezes them. So really managing that risk is really bigger and more important that a lot of people realize when they're trying to develop a portfolio. That That is absolutely true. And that's why one of the things we do when we're getting them organized and look at the current financial reality, we look at, okay, if I don't do anything, if I stick my head in the sand and don't do anything, how much am I going to have to reduce my lifestyle in the future or what goals am I not going to accomplish by just not addressing the issues? Because we know inflation is going to just chip away. Inflation you know, is, the day yep. bread and butter cost X and yep. 25 years from now it's going to cost Y and they're not the same. They're not the same at all. And then you got to also think it's not just inflation or rising costs, but think about, you know, you look back over the last 30 years at all the new goods and services that have come out, things that we pay for the day that we didn't pay for in the past, well, the cell phones we're carrying around, the Internet. So there's going to be things that you're going to want to participate in in the future that medical. are going to cost money. Medical medical, medical costs continue to rise. Long-term care costs continue to rise. All right. Before we take a break, I know there's some things that are time-tested principles, just fund- fundamentals that when you're sitting down with someone and you're saying, okay, let's work through the report, you just start with these time-tested fundamentals. Let's go through those. Absolutely. Starting, uh, so... You know, I say all the time, correct principles work correctly over time. And we always look at the time-tested principles of asset allocation, diversification, and rebounds. We talk about it on the show all the time. Uh, You know, we start with asset allocation. And that, you know, backing up to we were talking about risk tolerance, we look at, you know, based on what you can tolerate in risk, how much are we going to have in equities? How much are we going to have in bonds? How much are we going to have in cash? Uh, And that is what we're trying to do there is we're trying to get somebody the – the highest level return for a given level of risk. This is academically proven over time and something that we believe in strongly at our firm. Uh, and then we want to diversify that. You know, among those categories, we're not going to put it all in one investment. No no single manager or no single investment works all the time. So we spread that money across, you know, by, by geography, by management styles. Are they a growth manager? Are they a value manager? So we want to we want to put a little bit of little, <laughs> a little bit of that money in all those places so that we can take advantage of the markets over time and minimize risk. Now I say this all the time: diversification does not guarantee the greatest return. 
What, what diversification is is a risk management technique, and it doesn't guarantee against loss, by the way, but it does help mitigate some of that risk of fluctuations in the market and can can be a good behavioral management technique Do as we well. talk about when you say that type of diversification can we use the word cross correlation? Is that I what think you, so. that kind of helping? What one thing goes up, say stocks go up, bonds go down, bonds go up, stocks go down. I mean, is that the is that what you're talking about? That is help? key. That is key to you know. That's what you're really looking at doing when you're building a portfolio that is is diversified. Is you're looking for you know one thing that's going to zig while the other zags in order to minimize that volatility along the way. Again, it's not necessarily going to give you the highest rate of return, but it can smooth the ride and allow you to t- stay focused on your long term goals. Well, that makes a lot of sense. When we come back, I want to ask you about what we talk about this because we, with Rusty, you know, as an asset manager, you talk about how we in the firm put together what we call best in class managers. Sure. So I want to understand what you mean. I know there's some terms you talk about quantitative and qualitative, but best in class. So if you just tuned in, we're talking with Scott Jordan. We're talking about two subjects that are kind of important to anybody listening because it creates this fear or the fear is there, it creates a way to get around the fear or the emotions. And we're going to talk actually about how do you manage your investment behavior at the end of the program. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and were redeemed to be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, I'm talking with Scott Jordan. We're talking about investment construction or portfolio construction and developing an investment strategy. And he really dived in a lot. I mean, I really appreciate the comments about some of the risks that we take and that we just have to manage the risk. And whether it's, you know, the long-term risk, whether it's, you know, inflation, whether it's interest rate, which, which we talked about early in the program, the Fed may probably not going to lower rates, but you have to manage around that. Of course, by September, we talked about Fed's problem. Probably going to lower rates. So all that's part of the risk that we talk about. Then he said time-tested principles, asset allocation, diversification, and rebalancing. Before the break, I asked Scott about, well, we talk about this idea of a management approach or manager's approach, the best-in-class managers of the allocation category that there's working. Rusty was is an active manager. We talked about that. Bottom up, he looks at the stock. He, he's very specific at that. He learned that by working at the Templeton Group. Top down is where you spend time looking at what's going on in the news media, the kind of the noise. And he actually mentioned fake news. And they, you make decisions from that. Well, there's two different strategies. And some some people say, well, top down's better than bottom up. Well, that's not. But Rusty's a long-term investor. So when we talk about looking for best in class, you mentioned quantitative and qualitative. What do you mean, Scott? Well, you know, we talked about diversification. We're looking for, you know, when we're going to spread our money out across these different asset classes and these different styles, we're looking for good managers in each of those positions within the portfolio that that can manage that portion of the portfolio. And we look at, as an investment committee, we're looking at quantitative and qualitative 
uh, information. Uh, some of the quantitative, we're looking at how long's a manager been there? How long, you know, what's their experience? What about performance? We look at not just performance, but also relative performance. You know, are they getting that performance by taking too much risk? So we're looking at things like risk-adjusted performance, looking at long-term and short-term performance, one year, three-year, 10-year. And then we also really dive down into the risk, you know, looking at things like standard deviation, upside, downside, capture, uh, different ratios that we look at to gauge whether the manager is actually adding value. Uh, if we're paying a manager, we want them to bring something to the table. So we're looking to do they add value. And then uh, finally, we're also looking at expenses. You know, expenses are a drag on the portfolio. So we want to make sure we're managing that and uh, getting good value for our money. Um, but we also look at the qualitative side of things. You know, we spend a lot of time talking with these managers. We want to understand their style, their philosophy, what they're doing. Is it a team approach or are we looking at maybe a superstar manager? And if it is a star manager, what's their succession plan? Because the last thing we need is to be totally invested with a great manager that decides to move or go somewhere else. And, and that can have a dramatic effect, effect on the fund. So we're looking at the uh, succession plan. You know, I always, something I always ask a manager is how much of their own money they have in the strategy. Cause I want to, I want a manager that believes in what they're doing and they're putting their own, own their own money in there as well. So we're, we're looking at those quantitative, qualitative features. We want to understand, we want to understand the performance and we want to understand how they're getting their performance and make sure that we're comfortable with the management team that's getting that for us. So really what you're telling us, the, the idea behind a manager's approach is not something you read about it. You really have to dive into we, it we, and spend the time, yes. talk to the manager, spend the time. So that's the idea. When you're constructing a portfolio, you're picking managers that fit the philosophy that you can understand by starting first and foremost, what's the financial dreams and goals of the client? Absolutely. And Moving through that process, then you put the portfolio and develop the strategy. But the biggest issue in every case, and I love the thought that Dr. Templeton used to say this too, is you got to manage investor behavior. How do you do that, Scott? Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned a lot of what what uh, Rusty was talking about with the fake news. I mean, many employed economists and news pundits out there are going to be wrong most of the time. So there's there's a lot of information coming at investors. Uh, it's a natural part of our economies and stock markets to go up and down. So. Uh, managing behavior is critical. I quote Peter Lynch on this. He said, whatever method you use to pick stocks or mutual funds, your ultimate success or failure will depend on your ability to ignore the worries of the day and give your strategy long enough to succeed. So I think that's worth repeating and, and a very, very good statement. To Well, you're just saying it's on. about your behavior. It's managing behavior after investment strategy. After you've developed a strategy. And we after you've constructed We don't change the strategy based on current performance. You know, the strategy is to develop and, and meet a long-term goal, so we stick with it when we pick Bottom it. Bottom line is, bear markets are going to happen, corrections are going to happen, markets are going to go crazy, so you just have to know you how to handle plan it. Plan for it's... it and expect it and know what you're going to do when it happens ahead of time. I think that's critical. You know, Scott, from looking at my chair, looking and talking to you, an advisor that sees behavioral coaching as one of their primary responsibilities, I see that it, it prevents all kinds of big mistakes over a lifetime. And, uh, you know, that's really what it's all about is helping the client to avoid the mistakes. 
Well, you've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests, Scott Jordan and Rusty Leonards. thank you, Scott, for being with me today. Always a pleasure, Jim. If you would like to talk with Scott personally, you can call him at 901-757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. As always, thanks for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial and be sure to like us on Facebook. We would appreciate it. I'm Jim Shoemaker and thank you so much for being a part of today's program. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Mm-hmm.